Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. Today we're going to be talking about something that is a first. Natural Habitat Adventures is spearheading the world's first zero-waste trip. Uh, This is a travel industry milestone, the very first one. Next July in 2019, NatHab is taking us on a departure of Safari America in Yellowstone Country, and they're going to have 14 travelers who have a goal. A very simple goal, but not so easy to do over the course of a of a long trip, and that is to be zero waste as they go on their adventure. And today we are joined by the Director of Sustainability for Natural Habitat Adventures, Court Whalen, and I am so excited to have you on the show. Court, welcome to Go Green Radio. Jill, thanks so much. Uh, greetings here, everyone from Boulder, Colorado. We have a brisk, uh, sort of moderate low 20s day here, but bright blue skies, so th- things are good. And Mixed with this opportunity and a good cup of coffee, it's a, an exciting way to start the Friday morning. So thanks so much for having me. <laughs> You're so welcome, Court. Now, I know that NatHab has been around for a long time. You guys have a very successful business model, just as it is. So what motivated the company to develop a, a zero-waste adventure? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say there's, there's kind of a couple ways of looking at it. You have the one sort of punctuated light bulb moment that went off in our, our minds like, we got to do this. This is the thing. This is the next industry first. But I would probably start that question off or the answer off rather with maybe talking about like our conservation ethic as a company. You know, I think that um, humbly I would say we're, we're easily one of the most sustainable travel companies out there, travel and tourism being one of the biggest industries in the world. Um, and this, this concept of ecotourism being a very fast-growing sector, it's important um, as we grow uh, as a company, as, as we grow as a sector of the biggest industry in the world, we do so sustainably. So I humbly think that we, we are oftentimes a model and example for the rest of the tourism industry. Um, we, we work with a lot of different uh, in-country operators and a lot of folks around the world, and it is our humble responsibility to spread that awareness throughout. Um, it really started back, again, over 30 years ago when our company president and founder, um, still here today doing a, a lot of the stuff around the office, Ben Bressler, uh, had this idea of, and, and keep in mind, this is back in the 80s when conservation travel was not a word, when ecotourism was barely even a concept. Um, and he wanted to establish that, this idea that tourism can be a force for change, can be a force for good. Um, and so as you grow as a company, like, like all companies do, you develop these things known as like core ideologies, this, this rule book to follow, whether you're you know, selling shoes or selling travel or dealing with online you know, marketing, whatever it might be. Um, these are things that you hold true that may not actually have to do with your individual business, but are just things you want to live by. And one of the core core ideologies is to constantly raise the bar on conservation. Always be raising the bar on sustainability. Um, you know, uh, good is the enemy of great, as some famous authors will mm-hmm. say. So we, we have a task to us, this directive, uh, and this shared belief amongst all uh, now almost 90 people in our company that we have to constantly, uh, you know, 
challenging the status quo when it comes to conservation and how travel can play a part. So fast forward all the way to today, and, and I frankly, you know, um, being director of sustainability and conservation travel here at NatHab, I, I think in a lot of ways we're a conservation company uh, doing conservation via travel. And, um, you know, we can maybe get into that further as, as we go along in this, uh, in this uh, talk today, but really the, it boils down to this and that when you are injecting uh, money into local economies and you're showing folks that wildlife is more valuable um, alive than dead or uh, natural areas are better kept pristine rather than being used for extractive resources, um, there's much bigger long-term benefit and much more money to be had by these local villages and communities when you do conservation travel right. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, so that kind of gives you the background of where we are. We're just always thinking about this sort of stuff. And, you know, frankly, um, the, the concept of zero waste, uh, we are far from pioneering the idea of zero waste. This has been around for a little while now, and if you look um, on our website, you'll see uh, a reference to a number of other much larger companies that are doing things like this or setting targets for, you know, being zero waste by 2020 or 2025 or 2030 as entire companies. Um, You know, Subaru, is just one to put out there, has been uh, zero waste for quite a long time. But nobody in the tourism space has been doing this or even talking about it. And when, again, that punctuated moment, when that light bulb went off in our head uh, in, in a green team meeting, um, we'll talk more about that maybe in a little bit, but our green team meeting here in the company, we said, gosh, you know, what, what are we going to do for 2019 that's the next industry first? And frankly... We don't have industry first every month, every year, um, mm-hmm. you know, not even every five years. These are big things. This is the kind of stuff when you're, when you're in the biggest industry in the world, how do you constantly innovate? And so, you know, another one of our big industry firsts, um, which was uh, a little over a decade now ago, was being the first carbon neutral travel company. We're mm-hmm. entirely carbon neutral. Our office operations, our field operations, um, everything from company retreats to guide trainings to the light bulbs we have out in the office to the coffee maker, all the way to the boats that we're using when we're traveling through the channels of Mulu National Park in Borneo to the small charter planes going through the delta of Botswana. It's all carbon neutral. Um, so that's the kind of scale we're thinking of. So we're, you know, it's not just like, well, we should use recycled paper in the copier. We do that, of course, yes. but we're thinking real big. And so that's, again, well, uh, sort really, of a little bit of the roadmap, the journey. Yeah, it's really interesting. And I'd like to talk about that carbon neutral travel, because in order to ensure that you're carbon neutral, you have to account for all your carbon so that you know that you cover it all. So talk to us a little bit about how you do that. Yeah, well, I get real nerdy. Um, I'm the person that's in charge of all that. Um, I have spreadsheets galore. Um, and it really comes down to the basics. You know, I look at a single departure. So we, um, just to catch people up that may not be familiar with natural habitat, we run um, about, I would say, as of 2018, 2019, about six or 700 small group adventures around the world. That means, you know, eight to 10 people joining an expedition leader uh, on one week or two week wildlife safaris, not just in Africa, the quintessential safari, but places like the Arctic for polar bear uh, observations, Alaska, um, Borneo, China, Galapagos Islands. Um, so what we do is we, we have itineraries and we do, you know, a number of those each and every year. So that comes back to the, you know, calculation part. I look at an itinerary and I start looking at things. I say, okay, great. Well, on day one, we, um, 
we take a boat. We take a boat to this remote island, um, and I get down to the nitty-gritty, and I contact that boat owner or that transportation company, whomever we're working with, and I get the, the amount of marine diesel fuel that they've used. Um, and some, you know, marine diesel fuel, as an aside, is probably one of the more complicated conversions because you have to think of, like, specific weight by volume and all these complicated things. But basically, for long and short, we're getting a miles per gallon out of that stuff. Mm-hmm. We're doing that same thing with vehicles, with small charter planes. Um, there are ways you can use online calculators um, to figure out how much average electricity or how much average carbon you're using by being in an eco camp versus a big city hotel versus a remote jungle lodge versus like a smaller motel. Um, so you, you kind of add all this stuff up per traveler and then I go into our our system, this is kind of the boring part, you know, our rosters and figure out how many people per trip and do all the multiplications. And I come up with a big number at the end of the year of, of metric tons of carbon dioxide uh, basically emitted from our trips. And, you know, the whole reason we're doing this is because car, uh, travel and tourism is it, it's a contributor. You know, we can do it sustainably, but it's still a contributor. So I come up with this number, um, and hang with me here. Uh, there's another step to the process. We work with these organizations that then vet carbon offsetting projects around the world. And to, you know, kind of summarize it, you can have a few different types. Really, you have, you have carbon sequestration, which is like investing in projects that pull carbon from the atmosphere. So think of like trees, tree farms, or reforestation in places like the Amazon or in the Congolian Basin in, in equatorial Africa. Um, by planting trees, you know, trees breathe CO2, they absorb from the atmosphere. The other way, which is a little bit harder to to conceptualize, but is no less important um, and is actually a lot more exciting in certain ways, is preventing carbon from entering the atmosphere in the first place. So one of uh, the great projects that we're working with now is uh, being able to fabricate and provide um, ceramic water filters to remote villages around the world. You might think, well, how in the world does this affect carbon? Well, what happens is if villagers um, that don't have access to reliable power or, or butane or propane or whatever, they need to purify their water. Well, guess what they're doing is they're, they're lighting fires. So mm-hmm. this actually has an interesting double-pronged approach. Not only are you uh, minimizing the amount of smoke you know, up the atmosphere, the amount of carbon emitted, and we can calculate that to a very, very specific number, um, but it's also uh, curtailing deforestation. So there's a lot of ways to win in all this, and it does come down to a lot of exact science and a lot of research and a lot of people involved to make very meticulous calculations. Um, but this is where it is actually good to have a multi-level approach. There are many layers to this, to this cake here to make sure it's all being done right. Court, you are our kind of green geek. This is what we love on Go Green Radio. <laughs> that level love of minutiae is what we yeah. we get excited about. So that was awesome. Well, Good. Going back to your zero waste adventure, um, is there any particular reason that you chose Yellowstone for that location yeah. of the first zero yeah, yeah. waste adventure? Super good question. Um, and yes, some that we knew of ahead of time and some in retrospect were like, well, gosh, that worked out pretty well. Some <laughs> of the serendipitous moments is, you know, after we've already picked this for other reasons I'll detail in a second is, you know, how cool is it that we're keeping it local? We're doing a trip right here in our own backyard. We're here in Colorado. We're going up to Montana and, and Wyoming. And really, in a metaphor, it's all of our backyards here in the United States, the, the Grand West. Um, it's the first U.S. National Park as well. How cool to symbolize this next level of creation, um, creating the zero waste adventure after you know this creation by President Grant and I think you know eight, 1872 the very first national park so some cool things that in retrospect are like oh that's that worked out well but really you know when you come when it comes down to travel um, and it comes down to having control over the waste stream you need a lot of direct control over the trip 
Um, and so that's why we chose an area that's close to home um, that we have a lot of control over. We, um, you know, when it comes to travel, we we provide everything. We're essentially like an all-inclusive adventure, um, far from like an all-inclusive resort kind of thing. You know, we, we, are, we are going to various hotels and motels and jungle lodges and eating at all sorts of different restaurants, and we're, we're fixing picnic lunches, and we're driving to this place because it's got this really cool museum, and then we're going on a wildlife safari here. So there's so many facets that you have to have control over. So having it somewhere local, having it somewhere we have con- really direct operations over every single part of the, you know, more or less supply chain is critical. Um, in addition, this specific departure is known as our Safari America trip, um, where yep. we actually have our own mobile base camp set up in Yellowstone in the Greater Yellowstone that is ecosystem. So cool! We're literally, that is yeah, really we're kind of cool. Flamping like out there, it's it's really uh, quite neat. That is awesome. I can't wait to see the pictures and videos that come out of that. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Court Whalen from Natural Habitat Adventure. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us. And if you're just tuning in, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Court Whalen, and he is the Director of Sustainability for Natural Habitat Adventures, or as the cool kids say, NatHab. And they are doing something that has never been done before. They are organizing a first ever in the industry, uh, the travel industry, 
history at Zero Waste Adventure next summer, July 2019 at Yellowstone National Park. And Court, I would love to have you talk to us about some of the strategies that NatHab is using to make this adventure zero waste and how will the experience differ from a traditional adventure to Yellowstone? Yeah, great question, Jill. So it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about before the, the break in that, you know, choosing the right area and the right place is paramount. We have some trips where we're flying in small charter flights like four or five times over the course of a, a traverse across the, the island of Borneo, et cetera, et cetera. So having, having that control and, you know, basically being in a sprinter van with, uh, with six or eight guests per van gives us a lot of that control over it. And so it, I guess it kind of gets back to when the initial idea was pitched by a couple of colleagues of mine, like I was mentioning in the green team, uh, this is between Lauren Dealey and Nick Grossman. They, they had this idea and they brought to me in that first I said, what? That is, that is crazy. Like it's, it's hard enough to go absolutely zero waste on a day-to-day basis, let alone with 14 travelers in a remote wilderness setting, um, going around for a week long. Then as I started talking about this, I, I sort of jazzed myself up. I said, well, that's why this is so awesome because we're going to do it. We're going to absolutely do this thing. Mm-hmm. We've got the resources of 90 people here in the office that are ardent conservationists and geniuses when it comes to logistical operation. Let's do this thing. So kind of getting into the day-to-day, like how are we doing this? Well, the first part was picking the right place. Um, now, as a quick aside, our ambition is to, to indeed scale this up to a lot of our destinations in the coming years. Uh, the vast majority, in fact, uh, we've already targeted as being viable. But uh, you know, picking the right destination is indeed key. So what are we doing on a day-to-day basis? Well, uh, of course, you have all the things that are sort of obvious. You're recycling, um, you're composting. A lot of it's also going to come down to how we supply the trip and how we outfit it. You know, because we do have a lot of direct control over all facets of the trip, where we eat at our restaurants, where we stay in hotels, where we do certain activities. We're doing a lot of picnic lunches in this area um, of, of the country in this type of trip. We do have a lot of direct control of, you know, what sort of packaging do we use? Who are our suppliers? Um, um, you know, one of the big challenges, of course, is working zero waste all the way up the supply chain. Um, but, you know, really when it comes down to it, if you have control over those things, it's, it's indeed possible. A couple other things that are going to be really paramount, um, we're working with a company called TerraCycle that is doing amazing, amazing things in recycling extremely hard to recycle materials. Um, they're, they're a big X factor in all this. A lot of it is having our guides on the ground. Um, you know, our guides are some of the greenest uh, conservationists out there. That's why that they were attracted to us to work for us and why we have hired them. So having this next level sort of brainstorming to un- understand and identify, you know, how do we re- reuse? How do we reduce? and refuse the things that are normal like plastic straws and various things like that. How do we go into hotels and instead of using small little plastic shampoo bottles, how do we convince them to get reusable um, permanent dispensers? So Mm -hmm. it's a lot of that kind of stuff. It's a lot of people around the clock uh, working with our local vendors more or less. Um, But then we're also going one step further um, and, you know, in terms of like any sort of additional effort and additional cost, we are having an entire support person in a separate vehicle on this trip to make sure that all goes well. You know, to head to the hotels ahead of time, make sure everything's prepped and as need to be, if we need to, you know, swap anything out, et cetera, et cetera. Having that more or less chase vehicle with us that can, you know, house a TerraCycle bin, that can house a compost bin, that can house recycling, that can help separate the recycling for us. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the, the goal is not to just, you know, 
remove this from the sight of our guests. The goal is to actually be very participatory in nature. We want our guests to be involved. When we had advertised this several months ago, we said, hey, this is your chance to be on an industry first. This is your chance to be on a really cutting-edge thing. We want the most participatory and conservation-minded folks to join, and that's exactly who we've got. So we, we will, after meals be scraping plates into compost bins. We absolutely will. Um, so it's not just taking the waste stream out of vision. It's actually focusing on it a bit more because I think that's what we really have to be doing as a global society is not just sweeping on the metaphorical rug, but actually being much more cognizant and much more involved in the whole stream from start to finish. Agreed. I love it. That is so encouraging. I'd love to give you a chance to talk about some of the other conservation initiatives that NatHab has undertaken, like, for instance, your partnership with the World Wildlife Fund. Um, Talk to us about how that partnership works. Yeah, that's great. So the partnership really began um, now. We actually just got through our 15-year anniversary with them. Back in 2003, it really kicked off. And, you know, I'll spare you the long details of of the the meetings and the um, agreements and whatnot, but basically the two organizations at that time were doing a lot of the same things. Where a wildlife fund had their own travel program with a number of people in the office booking travel and answering questions. Um, We had our own conservation research program. We'd put a little bit of money into grassroots efforts here and there, and we'd oversee them. And then as we got to be closer and closer with one another, doing more trips with them and then doing more research with us, we said, well, gosh, why don't we just both do what we're best at? And that's such an iconic classic business principle, and it's Mm -hmm. worked out. So, you know, fast forward 15 years, we were essentially uh, the travel program for World Wildlife Fund in the U.S., um, and they do all sorts of amazing conservation work. They have, A, a network of like 1.7 million people in the U.S. that uh, are, are keen to go see the spectacles of the world and see the research being done, which we do our best to incorporate with, with all of our trips. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just this amazing partnership that gets – uh, the message spread on all levels. One of the big uh, initiatives at World Wildlife Fund as a conservation organization is to spread conservation travel. What better way than to have, you know, 7,000 travelers a year via our travel program um, learn about that message through their scientists, through our expedition leaders um, on the ground, in nature, while you're seeing some rare endangered orangutan, while you're seeing this elephant migration in the Chobe River of, of the edge of Botswana. Um, I think it is so much more impactful to to see it and learn about it that way, um, that it really has much bigger influence in the in the global scape of things. Yeah, it really does, and I think that that's one tremendous example of cooperation um, that. I- I think we could all benefit if we saw more organizations, more companies doing that kind of collaboration. That's fantastic. You guys also have some information up on your website about greening your fleet and plastic-free travel. Talk to us about those initiatives. Yeah, so that kind of comes back to that thing I was mentioning earlier, that we are we are conservation and sustainability-minded, uh, every single one of us in our entire operation. So uh, we have a, a pretty long laundry list of things. Um, I'd like to highlight some of the really, really neat things that kind of struck a chord with me, either because they've been instituted recently and they're just really fresh and, and cutting edge, or or they're just big programs. So we talked previously about the carbon neutrality thing. That's, that's a huge one. You know, the fact that we are... Uh, not only the first 
carbon neutral travel company out there, but we also define, we define it, we set the model, we set the example. So we've, we've worked with other organizations, other travel companies to get them to also uh, achieve carbon neutrality. Um, you know, we have various initiatives like making sure that our vehicles are of, of extreme environmental standards, whether they are, you know, biodiesel fueled or blue diesel or, um, you know, extremely good miles per gallon for, for the cargo that they are carrying, but passengers and, and gear in a lot of cases. One really cool example that's been, I think it's been in the last 12 to 18 months is um, it's quote unquote, it's our ugly box program. So um, this is something that really anybody can do. And it's one of those aha moments. Someone suggested, we're like, yeah, why, why are we not doing that? We should totally be doing that. So essentially what it is, you know, we're a travel company. We, uh, we excel in getting people prepped for their adventures with us. That's one of the many things we do. And we send them a lot of pre-trip information. Some of it might be some gear that they need on the trip. Some of it might be booklets or, or notebooks, um, you know, you name it. And we've, we've got to send it to them in, in packaging, right? So we, we strove to uh, get the most environmentally sustainable packaging out there. And we did so for, for a number of years with compostable materials, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, a lot of times the big the big thing with recycling and, and, and zero waste and environmental stewardship is trying to not create new products. I mean, it's great if you put stuff in the compost, that's the right place to go, or put stuff in recycling, but what if you can just reuse it without having to recycle, without having to put that additional energy in? So now what we do is anytime we get boxes from our suppliers, you know, we might have ordered a bunch of uh, Patagonia jackets for our, for our guides or a bunch of Osprey backpacks for our guests, um, we get them shipped in these boxes why don't we turn and take those boxes around without doing anything to them and just put them right back to our to our guests? So, you know, they're, they're a little beat up. They may have made it their way back and forth between us and Patagonia half a dozen times, and they're ready to be, you know, put out, put out to pasture or retired, but we're going to keep on using them. We slap a big old recycled ugly box sticker, kind of like a fun little logo and little story behind it on there, and we can use it uh, ad infinitum for, for future guests going forward. So it's it really is a lot about the many, many little things. It's the green, the green cleaning products and using, um, you know, 100% post-consumer content in our catalogs and brochures. Um, it's just dissecting every little facet of our individual business and figuring out how can we make this green? How can we make this green? How can we make this green? Our business is very specific. You know, we, we do travel, but those things can be replicated across many, many industries. Agreed. I love the mindset because you're actually getting out in areas where you are going to see the upshot of your actions. I mean, you're getting out into some pretty remote places. You take travelers all over the world. Talk to us about how NatHab orchestrates some of the meaningful interactions with communities when you take travelers on overseas adventures. Big time. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, that's, that's really, at the end of the day, what we're, what we're all about is, is investing in local communities. I and mean, we are a nature and wildlife travel company. The one thing I always preach is that, you know, you can't just put up fences and give people fines for, for using natural areas or for, for cutting down forests and all that. You have to incentivize them for why they shouldn't be doing this. You know, it, it's, you cannot tell people in developing countries that they can't put food on the table. You know, it's, they're, in, they're in, you know, very subsistence living situations. What you have to do is give them an alternative. So there's some great studies out there that say, you know, the value of, of a lion or a value of a single tree in the Amazon rainforest is, is this really uh, very meticulous, very uh, calculated value. And it turns out to be far greater than the short-term gain of just felling it for timber or for hunting or for you name it. And so the idea is that when you involve local people in conservation travel, you're giving them employment, 
you're giving them financial rewards, you're giving them a long-term livelihood, livelihood uh, something that's much more long-term than just cutting down a patch of forest or, or hunting for bushmeat or hunting for whatever or, you know, exploiting um, forests for mining or for, for oil uh, exploration, et cetera, et cetera. When these places are more valuable because of tourism, uh, it's a very, very easily translatable idea. Yep, so that's, that's kind awesome. of a long way of saying what we really want to do is get these folks involved uh, from Love the get go. So it might be simply, you know, staying at lodges, eco lodges and camps that are run mm-hmm. by uh, local communities. Um, you name it, involving them every step of the way, I whether they come that. visit, that have dinner fantastic. with us, you know, from start yep. to finish. I love it. NetHab is is really doing some amazing work. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we've got so much more to talk about. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're glad to have you all with us today. In case you're just joining, let me catch you up. Our guest today is Court Whalen. He is the Director of Sustainability for Natural Habitat Adventures, NetHab. And they are planning their first zero-waste travel adventure. It's not just their first zero-waste travel adventure. It's the first zero-waste travel adventure that's going to be in Yellowstone National Park next July 2019. They're going to be heading out 
and creating a travel industry first with a zero-waste adventure. But I'd love to talk about NatHab on a more broad scale. The list of trips that you all offer, Court, is simply breathtaking. I'd love for you to give our listeners an overview of some of the wonderful places that they could visit with NatHab and some of the wildlife they could see while they are along with you. Awesome, Jill. Thank you. Yeah, I love chatting about this. So I have the uh, very fortunate experience of being an expedition leader with as, as well. So not only do I work here in the Boulder, Colorado office and doing all sorts of awesome, fun, sustainability things, but I do get to make it out into the field, goodness, about 80 to 100 days guiding, which is a, a really wonderful best of both worlds. So the, the lineup of trips, you know, humbly, I, I will say it's extraordinary. We have a team of people here that are working around the clock to make sure that these are the most sensational, the most meaningful travel experiences out there in the natural world. So I like to say, you know, we, we are a nature and wildlife travel company. A lot of our trips we deem nature and wildlife safaris. Um, of course, Africa is a big one on the list. We do some of the very best African safaris out there. Um, you know, co- countries that really... Um, get me out of bed first thing in the morning to, to think mm. about and plan and to orchestrate, um, you know, Kenya, Tanzania for the great wildebeest migration, Uganda, Rwanda for gorilla trekking, Botswana and the Okavango Delta for some of the most extraordinary wildlife and rare wildlife in the world, Namibia for these vast towering sand dunes. Um, it's pretty spectacular. You have um, a country in Africa, not often thought of as an African country, but Madagascar, right off that southeast coast, um, one of my favorite places in the world. Um, when people often ask me, you know, well, what's, what's the favorite place you've ever been? Uh, obviously an impossible question to answer, but um, Madagascar has got to be up there. It is a biological treasure chest. Um, eight out of ten things are found nowhere else in the world, from lemurs to chameleons to geckos to baobab trees. It's, it's awesome. I absolutely love it. So, you know, Africa is fantastic, but it's not the only place we do. We actually operate on all seven continents. Um, Antarctica is a spectacular one. Uh, but other big ones that we do, um, or at least that I do, would be Galapagos Islands, uh, a nature lover's paradise, uh, one of the you know, most amazing archipelagos on the face of the earth. Um, and one that I've been getting into rather recently, been guiding quite a bit, is Borneo. I think it's maybe my, my new newfound love when it comes to exciting nature and wildlife travel. Um, it's a tropical nation. When you think of tropical countries, it's, it's often about the little things. You know, yeah, everybody wants to see a jaguar when you go to the Amazon or to Ecuador, um, but oftentimes, it's, you know, it's the smaller primates. It's the monkeys. It's beautiful birds. It's amazing butterflies and colorful poison dart frogs. It's the little stuff. Um, Borneo has that little stuff as well. You know, amazing insects, incredible butterflies and moths and spectacular birds, um, but they also have the big stuff. You know, in the course of a two-week trip, we're seeing multiple troops of proboscis monkeys, one of the largest monkeys in the world, certainly with one of the largest noses in the world. Um, look at any sort of Ranger Rick magazine, and you're probably going to see, uh, see a proboscis monkey out there. Pygmy elephants. Pygmy elephants are in Borneo, and of course, the, the denizen of, of the island is the uh, Borneo orangutan, which is absolutely fantastic, and unfortunately quite, quite endangered and imperiled, but this is coming back to why we do conservation, why I view NatHab as being actually a conservation company that does conservation via travel, is when you take people to these, uh, these enchanted jungles of Borneo, um, and they're faced with all sorts of conservation challenges, from forestry to oil palm plantations, um, you've got to show folks that, hey, you're going to make, frankly, you know, it comes down to money. You're going to make a lot more money if you set up uh, a little touristic infrastructure, a little jungle lodge, place for people to stay, that they can pay to come see wild orangutans. You're going to do so much better in the long run 
than if you convert this to an oil palm plantation. And that's really what it's all about, is finding those areas of the world that are in need of assistance, that have charismatic wildlife, uh, that we can transform uh, the way people do conservation via this unique brand of travel. Love it. Now, in addition to the special places that you all go, you have special people who guide those expeditions at NatHab. Talk to us about some of the individuals who help create travel experiences that people simply can't find anywhere else. Yeah, I've long thought, you know, ever since I was in grad school and, and planning some of my own experimental trips and whatnot, is that the guide or the, the trip itself, the expedition, is really only as good as the guide. Um, you know, these are multi-day trips, and we're doing you know, on a sort of all-inclusive nature in that we, we book the hotels and lodges, and we arrange the transportation and, and, you know, figure out the meals and the restaurants and all that. And that's fine. You can package that all together. But the real big X factor, I would say, with, with anyone doing this type of travel, this really adventurous type of travel is, is who you get to be your ambassador, your, your concierge, your leader, your naturalist, your guide, your expedition leader. Uh, for us, that person, all those roles are in one person. So it, it does require rather special individuals. Uh, it takes us many years to find the right person. Um, we spend many more years and many more dollars in getting that person, not just from a, a spectacular naturalist or an amazing ambassador to that region or country, but getting them to be a natural habitat guide, which is, I, I humbly think, meaning the, the best guides on the planet. Um, and again, you know, what, what they are is they're not just someone that can spout off, you know, scientific names and, and find where cool monkeys live, but it's about contextualizing things, telling the whole story. You know, why is it special that we're here? How, how long have people been able to explore this jungle? How old is this jungle? What's the context of it? When was this island formed, et cetera, et cetera? Because, you know, when it comes to travel, um, it's about storytelling. There's the story of the place that you're going, and there's a story that you take home with you. Um, I often say, you know, stories are made on adventures, and that's exactly what we do. And getting the right people to guide those adventures is, is exactly what's needed. That is so cool. Now, in addition to your travel itineraries and adventures, I, I was so pleased to find on your website just a ton of great free resources. Um, I'd love for you to talk to us about the kinds of webinars and videos um, that people will find if they visit your website, because I'm imagining that some of our listeners really would love to see what you guys do. I can imagine teachers you know, using these resources in classrooms. Talk to us about that treasure trove of free resources that people can find on your website? Yeah, great question. So there's a couple ways to go about this. So, I mean, I view our website at, you know, nathab.com. Just, you know, you can Google it. We're very Googleable. <laughs> um, you know, we are a, a, a travel portal in a lot of ways. You know, we have a lot of great information resources from webinars to tell you about, well, what are the highlights of, of China? Like, what is the wild side of China? Everybody thinks about the, you know, the Great Wall and the Terracotta Warriors, but how, where are the places that we go and how do we get there to get to uh, Tianjiahe National Park or Zhuzhaigo National Park or some of these really unknown gems from, from Western, the Western tourist side of the world, um, you know, you don't have to join us to, to learn and to see and be inspired. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are going to want to, you know, plan their own trips thinking about these sort of things. So we have a lot of resources from, you know, airport maps, how to navigate, what tips and tricks here and there. We have great blogs about how you can get involved in various volunteer opportunities across the world. Um, we have uh, lists of packing lists 
based on destination and climate and all sorts of things like that. Um, we also have a fantastic uh, ancillary website that I actually curate and, and write myself called uh, thenaturalphotographer.org, and it's it's everything uh, nature and photo, uh, sorry, nature and wildlife photography based. Um, it's got a bunch of static content with you know tips and tricks of how to use aperture when it comes to um, wildlife and nature photography to landscape photography tips. Uh, I actually post weekly. Um, you know, the the very last week I posted uh, an article on what are the lenses and camera gear I bring with me on our monarch butterfly adventure, stuff like that. So it's everything from information to inspiration to photography tips, you name it. Um, I will uh, say also the World Wildlife Fund website, which can be found uh, very easily by going to our website and linking there, is an amazing resource for learning about the areas, learning about the conservation challenges and the opportunities to get involved, uh, learning about the success stories. Because, I mean, I think that's one of the big things when we talk about conservation and sustainability is, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a triage situation right now. I'm sure everybody listening will agree. Um, we, we've got to focus on the positive. We've got to be all eternal optimists and see that light in the tunnel. And that's something that I think World Wildlife Fund does a really, really good job of is, is harnessing the power of a good success story. Um, you know, mountain gorillas in Uganda and Rwanda have, have increased for the first time in a number of years because of the conservation efforts uh, that they're doing in conjunction with researchers um, and local universities and local organizations and travel. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I would say between our website and World Wildlife Fund website, you've got a host of resources that will not just inspire but also help get you out there and see the stuff for yourself. I love it. And, you know, in, in the work that I do with the Go Green Initiative, my nonprofit organization that, um, you know, we work with K-12 through schools in 73 countries. And one of the things that, you know, in the almost 20 years that I've been doing that, that I found is that for kids of all ages, one of the best ways to connect them with nature, with the idea of conservation, with, you know, asking them to change behaviors about you know, what they waste and what they don't waste and things like that is through animals and living things. And when they see, Mm -hmm. you know, the impact, when they see a success story, like you said, of, uh, you know, animals that are, you know, that were suffering and now coming back, um, your reason to hope, even, you know, career aspirations uh, that they may have based on some of these videos. I mean, um, I just think that's such a great service that you're providing when you allow those kind of free resources, you know, out on your website. And I don't know. I mean, if you guys get a chance to interface with kids very much, but if you don't, I would, uh, I would love to help you do that. (laughs) We should definitely connect on that. Certainly. Yeah, I think that that is something that, you know, a lot of our listeners actually are are college students who are thinking about their first career. Um, They may be studying a number of different types of things um, that may or may not connect directly to the kind of work that you do. But um, they're looking for ways to apply their passion for sustainability and for conservation to their career. And so I think that they're going to find your resources very, very um, inspirational. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we have so much more to talk about with Court Whalen from NatHab. So don't go away, folks. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com 
Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, everybody. So glad that you could join us and so happy to have our guest today, Court Whalen, who is the Director of Sustainability for the Natural Habitat Adventures Company. I am so excited to talk to NatHab. This company is rocking my world because... You know, I I only recently found out about the great work they've been doing for the past 30 years to bring people into places where we can see very starkly where conservation efforts are making a difference, where wildlife is being impacted by the good work that people like NatHab and the World Wildlife Fund uh, are bringing to fruition. But, you know, part of what we do on Go Green Radio is – we, we also talk about green jobs because a lot of our listeners, as I mentioned in the last segment, are college students or young college grads who have a real passion for going green and they aren't sure how to turn that into a career. And Court, I, I'm pretty sure that in the 10 years I've been on the air with Go Green Radio, we've never had somebody on the show with a PhD in ecotourism and entomology. <laughs> You're a first. So I would love for you uh, to talk to us about your educational background and how you ended up in the position that you currently hold. Tell us about your career path a little bit. Yeah, certainly. My pleasure. So, yeah, uh, so I, I'm, I'm sure I'm the first with, with those PhDs uh, on your program. In fact, the PhD program of ecotourism entomology is something that was a first at my university, a first out there. Uh, and this is not me saying to brag, but I think in terms of when we talk about careers and like how to, you know, how to get ahead and how to do the right thing, I mean, I think 
being a first, being you're being the leader, it, it often has really, really good returns for the individual or, you know, in our case, the, the world's first zero-waste adventure for a company. You know, there's a reason we try to get ahead of the pack. And I think as, you know, if, if you're a, a bright young college student and think about how to differentiate yourself, that's just it. Differentiate yourself. Figure out ways that you can be a leader in, in your community, a leader at your, your university, be a bit of a risk taker. I mean, I certainly don't want to, you know, allude to sort of um, dangerous or, or you know, um, harmful risk taking. But in in the world of business, in the world of success, um, fortune often does favor the people that are a little bit more um, risk uh, interested. The, the the folks that really want to see how they can move the needle, push the boundaries, think big. Um, you know, you hear all these stories all the time about some of the world leaders and, and various folks that, you know, like Steve Jobs and others that, you know, they, they didn't even go to college or they, they dropped out early to take these big risks. Um, I think, you know, I probably did the opposite thing. I stayed in for quite a long time, but even that was a risky maneuver. I sort of always knew as I was in college, I was going to go into the tourism industry. So yeah, even getting a PhD, which is largely academic focused, um, was a bit of a risk. It's, it's a lot of time to be in school when you could be doing big things in the industry. But at the same time, I got to say it's, it's certainly uh, paid off. And in terms of, you know, what you might do on a day-to-day basis to differentiate yourself, there is um, there is no limit. Um, I often get the question of, well, what what can I do to help conservation and sustainability in our world? Um, and I also often get the con- uh, the question, what can I do to have a successful career? Um, in in a lot of cases, the answer is the same. It's the same for a lot of things. It's, it's it boils down to this: do what you do best. Honestly, mm-hmm. that's that's one of the best pieces of advice I ever got when I was uh, young and in school and trying to make life choices and career choices. So I think if you boil it down to one takeaway, focus on what you do best. And then as an aside, what you are certainly most passionate about, that always helps as well. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. You know, I'd love to get some more advice from you, Court, because you've been places that most of us have not. And you have seen the impact that humans can have on climate and have on wildlife. Um, I'd love for you to give us two or three life hacks or two or three action items that each one of our listeners could take in the next month, something we can do very soon that would have a positive impact on the planet? Yeah, absolutely. Great, great question. Um, Well, as we're talking about waste a lot in this episode and being zero waste, you know, I think one of the most important things is to be extremely conscientious. Um, You know, it's it's the little things that add up to great victories. Um, it's day-to-day action. And this might be redundant for someone on the line here. It might be uh, very novel for someone on the line. But, you know, every day, be thinking about how you can change your behavior for the better in terms of reducing your impact on the, on the planet. You don't have to sacrifice a ton, but it's those small conscientious decisions, like maybe refusing a to-go cup if you have a, a, a metal cup in your car. Um, it's about, well, do I really need to, uh, you know, take take my car to this place or can I walk or can I ride a bike, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I think being conscientious about how much you're using and consuming, because that's, that's probably one of the biggest dangers we have in the world today. Um, none of us are perfect. You know, we have people that can ride, you know, bike to work 365 days a year. That's, that's great. That's not what I'm suggesting necessarily. But even just small little changes, you can only imagine if all 300 or however many, 350 million people we have in the U.S., if, if they all rode their bike to work one day a year. 
year on, on the National Bike to Work Day, or if they all, uh, for one meal, brought in Tupperware instead of disposable containers, or, um, you know, it's just ripple effects from there. So I think being conscientious, small changes like that. The other one, which may even represent two full tips in general, is exactly what I mentioned before, is do what you do best. Um, so I, I'm fortunate I get to guide a lot of expeditions around the world, and I often get the question, great, we, we did this awesome trip. We know that by being here in Borneo or Madagascar or Galapagos Islands or Yellowstone National Park, we're actually helping this ecosystem by investing in its conservation. That's great, but what, what can we do when we go home? Well, the, the truth is, is I have a million answers for you, um, but they're not all right for you as an individual. Um, you want to be efficient. The best thing that you can do is doing what you do best and translating it to conservation. You might be an amazing writer. You have an awesome blog. Write about it. You might be super involved in uh, advocacy, advocacy and politics. Go to the polls. You know, uh, Write about uh, the changes you'd like to see in, in the way that we do things. Um, so I can't say what you're best at. That's for you to decide. But when you are the best at something, your impact is going to be that much more substantial than if I just rattle off a bunch of things that you could uh, potentially do. So, yeah, at the end of the day, do what you do best for conservation, but, but indeed do it. <laughs> Well, that's awesome advice, Court, and I appreciate that. You know, NatHab is so philanthropic, and in the final moments that we have left in the show, I'd love for you to tell us just a couple of things that you guys do as a company to give back. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our relationship with World Wildlife Fund is certainly the lion's share, uh, no pun intended, uh, mm-hmm. of the amount of philanthropy and action that we do for things like mitigating climate change, for alleviating poverty, um, for investing in local communities, saving wildlife, doing research. Um, I'm so proud to say that over the last decade, we've donated over $4 million to World Wildlife Fund as part of uh, our relationship. Uh, in this coming year, we'll be donating about three quarters of a million. As, as our business grows, we're able to give more and more back. And as the world's leading conservation organization or one of the world's leading conservation organizations, I would say there's no better way to get more bang for your buck than, than giving to uh, an organization like that that's involved in so many things across the board. Um, they're often involved in the things that, you know, there's, they're not quite as sexy. You know, they're, they're lobbying various governments to get different policies in place, but golly, are they important. Um, they sure are. A smaller little grassroots program we have is not have philanthropy, and we give to about a dozen different small grassroots programs around the world each year. And I'm going to invite our listeners to check that out on your website, and I'm so sorry, but we've got, a, we've got a hard break on us. It has been so awesome having you on court, and I want everybody to get out on NatHab's website and check them out and uh, check out all the resources that they have for us. We're going to be here same time same place with more go green radio next week and until then have a wonderful week and do something in your life to go green did you get some terrific ideas from today's show please join us for more next friday at 9 a.m pacific time noon eastern time it's go green radio with jill buck here on voice america go green radio is proudly sponsored by covanta energy a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information we'll see you here next week